I think we know what we're talking about over these four weeks. It's waiting. It's not our favorite word. Um, as Kristen shared, we avoid it. We fill it with many things. I do the same. We see it as a negative thing. Um, we struggle to wait in line. Um, we struggle to wait for a light. We struggle wait to wait for our, our dinner to come or our package to arrive. Um, how much more do we wait and struggle to wait for those things that are actually really important? Answers to prayer. Um, the meeting of our deep longings. Waiting for a financial crisis to end or a relationship to be healed or the pain of loss to go away, a job to come through. Um, those things that, that are deeper, um, it's hard to wait for those as well. The Latin word for advent is often uh, translated coming. It's actually more um, accurately translated toward the coming, which I think is very interesting. A, a looking towards something that's coming um, has to do with viewpoint. It's a season that's focused on looking towards the arrival specifically of Jesus, who, by the way, already came. Um, and yet there was a long history of people looking and waiting and longing and saw nothing coming other than these little surprises of grace along the way. It's a season focused on waiting and hopefully in our hearts a growing longing for what he would bring and what hasn't come yet. In the church historically, um, and according to the liturgical calendar, it was actually handled differently around 400 or so. The, um, when the church began actually, um, what I wouldn't say they, were, they wouldn't call it celebrating Advent. That's what we say. Um, they would remember the Advent season. It wasn't like ours at all. Um, it was more marked by fasting and confession and repentance. Um, a time of quietness, a time of waiting, a time of longing. Um, and even in the liturgical calendar, actually, the new year begins not with the new year, it begins with Advent. Um, we like to begin, I like to begin with New Year, because I can toss out everything else and start all over again. And we celebrate, and that's what New Year's about, we celebrate. But actually, in the church calendar, which we don't follow, but we are tonight, um, the year, the season begins with Advent, um, which is really begins with longings that in some sense are not yet met, but we look to the one who's going to meet them and remember that Jesus came to do that. As I said, it wasn't characterized by festivity. It was more like fasting and confession, but that would end on Christmas Day. And on Christmas Day, I know some of you have had this tradition in your families, that was the day then the church really celebrated. And for many churches, um, if you grew up in one, you actually went to church on Christmas Day, and they decorated that day, and then they sang the carols that day, and it was a welcoming in. And the week following was the week of celebration. We start celebration like October 1st or whatever it happened. I mean, it's way before. We just keep pushing it more and more because we want to enter into that as quickly as possible. Um, we want to rush into it and grab a hold of it and run right past what Advent is supposed to be about. I love running past what Advent's supposed to be about. We do the opposite, as I said. We get 
want to get to the lights. I just was lamenting yesterday. I said, the guy across the street for us beat me to it. He got the lights up. And, um, and then I reminded, no, I got to teach about this. We shouldn't do the lights yet. We should wait. Actually, I was, I was talking to Cindy when she was going to set this up, and I was, I was tempted. We talked about not decorating until before the weekend before um, Christmas, just to help us enter into um, what we all avoid, which is the sitting with the waiting and some of the things that are unmet. Um, as, I, as I mentioned in the email, um, the communion plate and cup are here um, the next three weeks, but there's nothing on them. Um, we usually take it every week. Um, we're not going to take it. Um, it's going to be here. Um, even though Jesus already came and brought us, we want to remember that there was a time when we were looking for it. and We didn't have it yet. And the weekend before Christmas, the 20th and 21st, then we will, we will roll out all the carols, and we will sing, and we'll celebrate, and we'll worship, and we'll partake together of that. And then, um, and then the same thing on Christmas Eve. When I grew up, um, we, um, we made a pretty big deal of Christmas. Um, as a matter of fact, and when um, I look forward to Christmas, I look forward to birthdays. Um, I look forward to any kind of celebration. Um, I wasn't at that time really all aware of why I was so much into it. I'm, I'm sure a big part of it is you get stuff, right? So as a kid, but somewhere along that, that passes, and that's not really what it's about. There's something else that grabs a hold of you. When everybody in our home got a little older and wasn't so keen on all the Christmas stuff, I was the one who went downstairs early in December, got everything out, got the tree out, decorated. Um, for me, what it was all about was I wanted one time of the year when we could pretend everything was fine. That's, that's really the heart of it. To, to not face up all the pain that ran underneath the surface of my own home. And so on birthdays and Christmases, we'd make a big deal because you get that little period of time that you pretend it's all fine. Um, but it's not always all fine. And you're waiting, actually, down deep, there's this longing, this waiting, that God actually has something better that he promises to us. And we don't want to rush past that because in that we actually discover the presence and the work and the movement of God's hand in our life. God wants us to be in touch with our longings, to acknowledge that actually the world is still broken. We don't have to go far to see that. That although there's joy in him and we have new life in Christ, which we do celebrate, the kingdom of God is here, Jesus said it, but yet it's not yet either. Those before the arrival of Jesus had to learn to wait, and they didn't just have to learn to wait for a couple weeks till we get to take communion. They waited hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, on and on and on, as they got the promises of the prophets. And they'd see glimmers of it, but it wasn't there yet. Even Hebrews talks about the fact that those who prophesied got to prophesy about it, and yet they died before the realization of it um, for their own selves. There's a longing for his arrival, and their longing grew. Um, It's interesting, when we wait and it's unmet, what happens? Um, We often just decide to forget it. I'm not waiting anymore. I guess it's never going to happen, and we we grow despairing. Um, We abandon the looking for it, and we can see that even in the Christmas story. There were those who knew about the coming who had quit looking for it. But then there were others all through scriptures whose longing for it was actually enlarged as they waited. And their hunger grew, and their thirst for his presence actually grew more. And we would desire to see that happen 
um, here for the next few weeks. Robert Weber, who's written a a lot about worship, um, says this about Advent. He says, Advent asks us to deal with the basics of our relationship to God through Jesus Christ. Do I really believe in him? Have I actually put my hope and trust in him? Do I see the future through the eyes of the one who came to redeem the world from the power of evil? Is there a longing within me for him to be formed within, to truly take up residence in all of my life and in my home and in my vocation? These are not easy questions to answer. They require meditation, intention, and above all, a commitment that remains steadfast, steadfast in the waiting. But if we would break away from a spiritual life growing cold and a Christ who's becoming distant, we must be attentive to our spiritual discipline discipline, and long for God once again to break in upon us with new life. When we do this, we experience the true meaning of Advent. When we look to a holy God, um, when we express our neediness and the brokenness of the world around us, when we look for the Redeemer and remember that he has come, and he promised to bring restoration, and we know that he's going to return to finish that work. When we do that, we do what we talked about earlier this year. We declare the gospel over and over and over again. The practice of waiting in Advent proclaims the truth and the hope of the gospel. And when we wait, we join with the Lord who is doing what? He's waiting as well, the scriptures tell us. Um, for that end time. So today I, I want to do a brief reminder of the waiting that was at the heart of Advent and which was initially answered in his first Advent and his arrival of Jesus. And then we're going to take a few weeks down the road here to consider what do we do while we're waiting. And we'll actually see in the Nativity stories what they did in the waiting. To aid us, as I said, in growing in our longing for him, the communion plate and the cup are going to sit empty for these three weeks. Um, Our songs and carols, you'll notice, will reflect a little bit more on the waiting part of it, Um, uh, uh, a a different sense to them, and those will grow as we go along as we, again, in our fourth week, will celebrate his arrival. I'm going to read from two passages tonight, and I'm going to kind of bring those two together. One is the promises of the, the coming that were made 700 years before Jesus even came. So imagine having to wait 700 years um, the other is from the other side of the cross, from Biblical Titus, talking about the arrival of that answer. So let me read these two passages, and then we're going to kind of walk through them and see how the gospel um, is found in this waiting time of Advent. Isaiah chapter 9, um, I'm going to read verses 2 through 7, and when you find that, you can keep your finger in that place, and then we're going to go to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment that's rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then from Titus 2, 11 through 13, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us um, to redeem us. So we're going to walk through four very familiar statements that should be really familiar for us at this point. The gospel begins with what? That God is holy. And as the whole thing began with a holy God who put us into creation, um, Titus, it mentions it a couple times, says the grace of God. I love how he he starts that passage. Um, He didn't say Jesus appeared or Jesus came because he did, but he gives them a description. It's grace in a person. Arriving, God Himself, the embodiment of grace and holiness, which is Jesus Himself. And then later in that same passage, says that it was the appearing of the glory of our great God. When Jesus came, um, all that God is came here. And that one was a holy one first and foremost. And the incarnation was the arrival of the God who's holy, the God who stood on Mount Sinai, um, the God who breathed through the bush, um, the God who parted the seas was the one who arrived. Our Isaiah passage talks about the same God who came, the God who is with us. Um, it's the same God that Isaiah knew. It says that he was, came as a great, calls him a great light. If you think about, there's a couple passages in the Bible that talks about God dwelling in inaccessible light. And in, the, in Revelation, when we get a picture of all that God and his holiness, we see that there's no need for the sun anymore because of the light of, that comes from God himself. And Isaiah passes, it calls him mighty God, everlasting father. Remember when we talked about um, the character of God, everlasting meant from, from, from ever before, before there was even time to measure to all time before. A holy, mighty God. He's the eternal father. He's the prince of peace, which is grace and holiness combined. And then at the end of the passage, it says that he rules. A God who's holy rules. And like those 700 years before Jesus is born, we first point to a holy God. That's who we long for. That's who came. That's who designed life for us. Isaiah in chapter 6 says that he was high and lifted up. Smoke was filling the temple. And he still is that same way today. Although in these days, um, as in the days when Jesus first came, he can seem far away um, and transcendent and distant. Like Isaiah, hope begins with a holy God, and we should have a longing for the holiness of God to break in and intervene upon the world. Interesting that you get the nativity stories, and there had been um, all this... um, at least in the Old Testament, you've got all the prophecies and God speaking, I'm coming, I'm coming. The holy God is coming. And then there's a gap in God's word. We have about a 400-year gap from the last prophecies pointing to Jesus and his actual coming. 400 years. You know, um, I think 40, 
56 and 50, I think that's a long time. 400 years, think about it, it's twice the length of our nation. It is a huge amount of time. It is more than enough time to think nothing's ever going to happen. And especially since God wasn't speaking in his word at that time, there was a, um, almost a void of his word in the world at the time. Um, but it was a holy God that was coming. It's interesting that scriptures say, be silent before God, for a holy God moves and comes in. And the gospel, as it's spoken both in Titus, talking about the glory of our great God, and Isaiah being the mighty God, the gospel begins with a God who's holy that we're supposed to long for. Second phrase is that we are needy. Titus says, he came to rescue us from ungodliness, worldly passions, lack of self-control, and to redeem us. Why? Because we were ungodly. We were enslaved. We were adrift. We were lost. We were needy. We were apart from him. Um, it, I love thinking about the wonder of the grace appeared bringing salvation. But prior to that salvation, we were lost people. And we were needy. And today we still are needy for him to do his work in us. For it says, apart from him, we can do nothing. Isaiah says, looks at Israel, which is needy, but yet didn't even have a savior at the time. Um, and they were left in their need in many ways. It says that the people walked in darkness in Isaiah 9. So that they had sorrow instead of joy. So that they were burdened with a yoke of oppression that God was going to come and break, but they were burdened by it. They were occupied by war, it tells us. The throne of David, which he says is everlasting, would be everlasting, at that time was fading away. And justice was not upheld at all. They lived in a day where injustice ruled and ramped around, which is why the uh, prophecy in Isaiah 9 was such good news. It was the total opposite of what they were experiencing. And God's promise was, um, I'm going to meet that, but what he meets is needy people. And there's a picture in that passage, even in the prophecy, that there's a world that is broken and desperate and needy and apart, and there's a world that's coming apart around us as it was around them. What was it like to see and experience such deep darkness and need? Um, But all they had was a promise. Um, The truth is, most of us know what that's like, because most of us can remember when we knew our dark need, when we knew what it meant to be apart, when we knew what it meant to not have a Savior. And that, that depth of need is what they experienced with only a promise to hang on to. The promise of a Savior who actually doesn't come for hundreds and hundreds of years. So here we are, though, and we pick up the book of Titus, which tells us that he came to rescue us from all that, because that's who we were. Um, here we are on this side, redeemed, made righteous. Um, the promised Savior has already come in the first advent. But the truth is, we're still needy people. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We still have unmet longings and all sorts of other levels in our life. And the world around us still is in darkness and is broken and appears to be coming apart. And God can seem distant in that place. At this Advent, at this season of waiting, as we consider neediness, are we willing to sit and just wait in neediness? Even as saved people, just sit in that place. And let God bring back to our hearts the depth of our need that we have. And that's part of his process, I think, that he wants to accomplish us over these next few weeks.
Number three, Jesus redeems. I love it. Titus says the grace of God has done what? It says he's appeared. It's shown up. It's been revealed. It's um, um, like the, uh, it's, there was a surprise of his coming, and it brought salvation. The, the promise of something to meet a need was actually arrived, and even though people didn't recognize it, it was there. It says, Titus says that he gave himself for us to redeem us, and on the cross he said it's finished. He did the work for us. So we don't have to wait for that anymore. Isn't that good news? We don't wait for that. We're looking back. We're still waiting for something else coming up, and we'll talk about that. But we get to experience the fullness of salvation and completely being made as new people. In the Isaiah passage, there's a promise of a Messiah, a child that would be given. And it tells us in that passage that his light would shine, that he would increase joy, that he would bring harvest, that he would break the yoke that was upon him, that the bloody, guilty garments that they wore would all be burned up, and that a son would be given to bring redemption in their neediness. Um, years ago, I, I was in the North Cascades. Um, we were living up in Seattle, and I had embarked on a, a very long uh, solo trip, um, not too long uh, before our first child was born. And this huge storm, I'd been out a couple days by myself, and this huge storm just hit, and it just was crazy. And the temperatures dropped. Um, there was rain and mixed with snow, and this was like middle of summer. And I got soaking wet. Um, my pack got soaking wet. My sleeping bag soaked down. Um, and I remember that, that night the sun was starting to go down, and it was starting to get really cold. I was right near a river, and the river was cold because it's coming out of these glaciers, so you could just kind of feel the cold um, Aaron, I'm, I'm cold tonight, so I, mean, I was freezing. And um, all my stuff was wet, and i get my sleep, and my tent was wet. And um, I remember getting the sleeping bag out, and it was, like, mushy. And I think i got to climb in this thing. And I remember um, climbing in that thing and just cold and wet and lonely and a little bit fearful and laying in that place um, in that time. And I laid there awake all night. Um, and what was I thinking about? I was just waiting for the sun. I was waiting for the sun, uh, for the sun to come up, just that little glimmer on the horizon. And I wanted to see a blue sky, and I wanted to feel the warmth, and it came. Um, and that's kind of the picture of when, when Titus says, the grace of God has appeared. Um, Isaiah says, a light has dawned upon you. And it comes up and it brings something that we've just desperately waiting for. We can't hardly wait any longer. And there it comes, just in time. They clung in Isaiah's time to the promise that we ourselves have experienced. Hebrews says that the, the prophets looked to the promise, but they all died before ever seeing it. Before, um, it says that he spoke to us in his prophets, but now, guess what? He speaks to us in his son, it says. And we experience his redemption. Lastly, God restores. The last part of the gospel, God is holy, we're needy, God redeems, Jesus redeems, God restores. Um, the, the story is not over yet. Um, the finalization of all God came to do has not yet happened. Titus says he trains us for godly living right now. It actually says that we're trained in this present age. Um, there's more to happen for us. Um, we have to be trained 
It's okay, John. We're good. <laughs> the, the, uh, um, the truth of the gospel is that although we're redeemed, we're still being trained to be godly as the Holy Spirit takes up residence and, and begins to permeate our life. There's more to do in us. We're needy, frail people who still walk in their old patterns, even though we've been made new. And so we're looking to restoration of our own selves fully, but we're also looking to the restoration of the rest of the world that still struggles so much. Isaiah speaks of a nation being restored in that prophecy. He talks about the, this government increasing. He talks about a peace that spreads, and he talks about a king who rules, a kingdom come. And much of that came in Jesus, and much of it was begun there, but guess what? Not all of that has happened. Um, there's other parts of Isaiah. It says there will be no end to his throne. It says justice will be established. Well, it is in Christ. He's ruled over it. But I look around our world, and I don't see that. There's still injustice. Um, he says righteousness will be upheld. We don't all see that as well. And so part of the Advent waiting and the longing that we're supposed to do as redeemed people is there should be a longing in our heart for the finalization when God actually says the very last word um, and brings restoration. Um, he calls us to be part of that here and now. And the second Advent, looking, Titus says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior, the second Advent. It's not yet complete. He spoke of a, the final word of redemption, it is finished, which guarantees the completion of everything God promised. But as we said, there's still a final word to be spoken. Titus says, looking for the blessed hope in appearing. So guess what we're doing now? We are still waiting. As redeemed people, which is great, but we're still waiting. We're still waiting for God to do more. God restored, but that work still goes on in us and in our world. We are still waiting. We're still looking for that second advent. Um, I used to, my bed growing up um, was up against a, a huge picture window. And we lived out in the woods, and so um, this is in the Chicago area. And so my bed was up against there, and so I could always look out and see the woods um, out there. It was always, I'm still cold. It was always cold because the window was right there. And um, I remember just kind of t- getting my um, covers there. But if, you've, uh, if, you, if you grew up in a snowy area, um, some snowy areas are very nice because they have evergreens everywhere. Where I grew up, there was nothing evergreen. Um, it was just Chicago. Um, and if you ever drive, I remember a few times driving from Chicago around to Michigan, about the bottom of the lake there in the wintertime, it's not pretty. I mean, I, it's just not. I don't know why anybody would live there. Um, it's just not. It's just barren. It's, um, um, it's gray, and the leaves are gone, and it's just a bunch of sticks sticking in the ground. And the snow looks great, great for a minute, but not for very long, especially in the Chicago area. It just turns, like, gray, just black. Um, covered with stuff. But I remember laying in bed um, oftentimes and there would be those really gray days. Um, And I'd crawl in bed uh, by myself and thinking through and looking out and the snow looked yucky um, and the sky was gray and I could feel the chill of the air and um, it didn't feel good. I think, what this, this looks awful out here. But there were other mornings when I'd wake up and the snow had just fallen fresh um, and there's a sky and the sun would just blast and um, it would just kind of reflect up um, and it was beautiful. Um, and actually it felt warm coming through, through the window 
And I always look at that thinking, it's God's promises. God is always there. And, and you don't always see it, and we don't see it fully, and there's still those gray days, and there's still all the barren trees and the dirty snow and the mush and everything else that we walk through. But then these little glimmers come through. God's saying, the light, the light is dawning. The light is dawning. I'm here. I'm here to do my work. Interesting, I remember we had a bunch of squirrels, um, which my dad battled for like 20 years. Um, but on that fresh snow, they would jump around in the snow. Um, you'd see them going in, they'd come out and go in like that. Um, but they would dig around. You know what's underneath in, in the snow? It's green grass is what's underneath. Beautiful green grass. And they would dig it up, and all of a sudden you'd see poking through the snow. This fresh grass It's not brown like here. It's green um, showing through. So we wait, and we wait hopeful because God's kept his promises. He knows our needs. He knows our longings. Um, as the video was saying, that he loves us. And so we wait in need, and we wait in worship. Over the next four weeks, we want to practice waiting. Let me encourage you just to do it, um, to find meaningfulness in that place rather than the pain that we often experience there to discover afresh the greatness of the gospel to be attentive to longing for the final advent that's still yet to come to actually feel so much pain over the brokenness of the world that god feels that we long for his coming but it also engages us in the work that he calls us to do to grow in our yearning for the banquet that's yet to come but that's already being prepared for us so let me encourage you while you're sitting at the stoplight um standing in line at any numerous stores, stuck at the airport, which may happen to somebody here at some point, um, lying in bed waiting to fall asleep. Um, maybe you've got little kids and you're hurrying through the mall to get things done and you're holding your kids. I remember that. And they always wanted to stop and look at everything. Um, come on, you guys. Um, there's actually something very wondrous in that, just to stop and to take it in to wait. There's a calling in that place um, to recognize there's holiness in waiting. There's a chance to listen and worship in that place. And there's a calling to freshly cry out in need. Um, as all creation does, the scriptures say, it's groaning for his final work. And so is God. Uh, Cameron and Lisa, if you guys could come up. Um, we're going to sing a bit. Um, As we sing, we remember his work in us, but we also remember his continued work he still wants to do, um, that he's met us, but that there's still more for him to do, and there's still longings that we look for as we wait for him. Let me pray as we uh, prepare to sing. Lord, there's so much waiting in our lives. We wait in lines. We wait for better jobs. We wait for other people. We wait for financial security. We wait for a doctor's report. We wait for love. We wait for pain sometimes to go away. Lord, sometimes the waiting steals our joy and fills us with dread. But help us to find waiting to be a friend. A friend that invites us into your stillness of your glorious and life-giving presence. Um, tonight and in the days to come, give us the grace 
to refrain from rushing ahead. Give me, Lord, the grace to refrain from rushing past you in order to bring waiting to an end. Instead, Lord, help us to find joy and worship and peace and life and your power in the waiting. Amen.